What up, son? It's the tail of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. I tailor the tapes, season two, episode number fifty-eight. So it's definitely starting to get nice out. Still a little bit of some chilly air coming through and stuff like that, but. I have horrible allergies. I'm allergic to pretty much fucking everything in the world. I'm allergic to plants, dust, shit like that. So my allergies are bad pretty much all year round, but it gets even worse when times like these come around. So I apologize for my tone right now. I probably sound very nasal. I cannot breathe at all through either nostril. So again, I apologize for my my tone today, but going to have to bear with me. On today's episode, we will be covering Cannabis and Blackstar. So right off the bat, allow me to say that from the day Cannabis came out, he was one of my favorite rappers of all time. Now, at that time period, I was 13, 14 years old and it was the 90s. We didn't have social media and as much access to some of these people as we do now, so I can't speak too, too much on cannabis as a person or his personality as a human being and stuff like that. But as a rapper, I definitely thought cannabis was one of the greatest of all time. His first two albums are both in my top 25 favorite hip hop albums of all time. So to be as well versed in hip hop as I am and have one person have more than one album in my top 25 is extremely impressive, needless to say. But there's another side to this story. In my opinion, Cannabis fell off in the recent years after those albums. I didn't like the way he got played by LL and Wyclef, and after that he seemed to be bitter and his messages went off the deep end, at least in my opinion, and I was under the impression that he just sporadically put out music after that, so when it came to my predictions and expectations on Cannabis in this study, I thought he would do well, but didn't think he would do nearly as well as he was capable of doing. Now, Blackstar, I was not very familiar with. For those of you that don't know, that's a hip-hop duo consisting of Most Def and Talib Kweli. And I may have heard their name in passing before, but I'm not going to lie, I did not realize that Talib and Most Def were in a group together. So understand what I'm saying. I knew of Talib Kweli and I knew of Most Def. I had heard songs by both of them before. Didn't dislike either one of those guys. But I did not know that the start of their hip-hop career was in a group together. I really never knew that they were in a group together at all. So I'm not sure how that one went undetected by me, but somehow it did. Now, that being said, I was never a huge Most Def or Talib Kweli fan, so I guess it's not that surprising. And again, that's not to say that I disliked either of them at all. Just for whatever reason, I never had any of their albums or followed much of their music. I had heard some songs, but just didn't really follow them. So I expected kind of like top middle finishes from both of these guys, give or take. But again, my opinions on this matter were very, very limited. So all of these artists today had their debut albums out in the calendar year of 1998. But Cannabis was out first, so we're going to start with him. His birth name is Jermaine Williams, born December 9th, 1974 in Kingston, Jamaica. Origins listed as the Bronx, New York City, New York, United States. His genres are listed as East Coast Hip Hop and Hardcore Hip Hop. And his years active are listed as 1993 to present. So, 
one thing I do want to point out here is his origin is listed as the Bronx, New York. But Cannabis was actually born in Jamaica and then moved to the United States where he lived in multiple places including the Bronx, Atlanta, and a bunch of other places. And he does rep Atlanta a fair amount. So it's kind of tough to really pinpoint where Cannabis really considers his hometown to be. But his origin is listed as the Bronx here so we're going to run with that. And we will touch on that more going forward. But for now let's read up on some additional background information on Cannabis. Jermaine Williams, born December 9th, 1974, better known by his stage name Cannabis, is a Jamaican-born American rapper and actor. His family moved frequently living in the Bronx, Newark, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Miami, Buffalo, and London due to his mother's career requiring constant relocation. He initially gained fame in the late 1990s for his ability to freestyle and eventually released his debut album Can I Bus in 1998. Since releasing his debut album, Cannabis has gone on to release 13 solo studio albums in total as well as multiple collaboration albums and EPs with other rappers as a member of the Four Horsemen, Refugee Camp All-Stars, Sharpshooters, Cloak and Dagger, The Undergods, and one half of them. About.com placed him at number 32 on their list of the top 50 MCs of our time from 1987 to 2007, while in 2012, the source placed him at number 44 on their list of the top 50 lyricists of all time. So right in the very next paragraph there, we do get some clarification on what I was talking about earlier with cannabis actually living in a bunch of different places. And I did remember some, but I definitely wasn't remembering all those places, so... Glad I was able to get that info. Um, other than that, not all that much there. We do see some groups he was in, and he does make some respectable top 50 lists there as well. So let's get into my breakdown on Cannabis, and we'll see if I agree with those placements. Cannabis was one of my favorite rappers in the late 90s and early 2000s, but he always seemed to make odd decisions, and I was always under the assumption he just fell off. Admittedly, I was mostly wrong. Cannabis had a very good vocabulary and was very good with multisyllabic rhymes. He did occasionally use some run-on bars, but he was also able to rhyme a lot of words per bar and was very good at keeping a topic throughout. Around his third album, his sound and style took a change and he had some questionable lines and song ideas where he contradicted himself a lot. For the most part, he came back with a vengeance and admitted that at times he just basically took off on some songs or albums from a lyrical standpoint. He also recycled lines, songs, and verses enough times to mention. Overall, though, he showed the ability to snap for entire songs on many occasions and finished as a great lyricist. I have to say, I was shocked to find out that one of my earlier favorite rappers, whom I assumed had between 4-6 to six albums, registered 21 albums for scoring. 13 solo albums, 3 EPs, 2 albums and an EP with The Horseman, and 1 collaboration album with Keith Murray. Not only was not a single one of those weak or even average, but four of them were classics, another three were borderline classics, five were great, and the remaining eight were good. That's quite the catalog. Of his 250 registered songs, 46 were great, another 118 were good, and not a single one was weak. That means about two-thirds of his songs were good or better. Another super impressive stat, especially with that many songs. When it came to impact, it was there in spurts for Cannabis, but unfortunately he wasn't always on the right side of that. 
Aside from his publicized feud with LL Cool J, he was never able to have much commercial or mainstream success with neither albums nor singles despite being a pretty common name inside the hip-hop community. He also did and said some things that certainly didn't help his case in the long run. Mix that with the fact that he only had visible impacts on Cassidy, Sig, and maybe a couple of others, this department is one of Cannabis' Achilles' heels. When it came to originality, Biss had a bit of everything. He did sample a lot and take a lot of lines from other artists, but he also had a large body of work. Having listened to that entire body of work, it seemed to be done to pay homage, but nonetheless was still done. Despite that, he was still able to heavily outweigh that with his unique rhyme style, voice, content, song topics, message, and relatively original image for the hip-hop scene. So that definitely sounds like a solid breakdown there for Cannabis, so let's jump right into the math here for him and see where he winds up overall. Lyrics he gets an 8, and like I said man, Cannabis was a great lyricist, there's no question about that, and I want to point out something that really blows my mind here about this lyrical score of 8 for Cannabis, is that I pointed out in my write-up of Cannabis that he had a good vocabulary, he was very good with multisyllabic rhymes, yes he did occasionally use some run-on bars, but he was also able to rhyme a lot of words per bar and was very good at keeping a topic, but we spoke about how around the third album, he started to do some really questionable things and started to contradict some of the things that he was saying. And then later on, kind of addressed those songs and those albums and was basically saying, you know, don't quote me here. I don't remember like exactly what he said, but the point of what he was saying was essentially like, I just didn't feel like rapping like that on those songs or those albums or whatever it was. So it's an odd dynamic that somebody would just choose to dumb down their music when it's not for the sake of record sales, or at least it didn't appear to be for the sake of record sales. But again, this is someone's art, and everybody is free to do whatever the fuck they want with their art. But again, I have to score and judge what people are presenting. So those songs and those albums where Cannabis was definitely not an eight. And was probably closer to like a five and a half for some songs or even almost some entire albums. And it was like, how could this man have, you know, one or two albums or 10 or 15 songs where he admittedly essentially just decided, I don't, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be complicated or overly dope on this song. I just want to talk about this silly thing, or I just want to do this, or I want to be simple on this song. And still score an 8 lyrically overall. That is some mind-blowing shit. Now, this is not complicated math, but if you understand simple math, then you understand the fact that if Cannabis had a bunch of songs where he was just like a 5.5, and, and he still finished at an 8 overall, that means he probably had a bunch of songs where he was a 9 or a 9.5, which, you know, again, don't quote me here, I'm not trying to speak on specific numbers, but Cannabis was certainly above an 8 lyrically, or at least showed the ability to go well above an 8 lyrically for sure. He went absolutely nuts on some whole songs. We're talking, you know, 48, 96 bars on some of these songs. You know, Cannabis had some 10-minute songs and things like that where he essentially just went pretty ballistic from start to finish on an 8-minute song. Um, some of them had no hooks and things like that. So when it came to being a lyricist, Cannabis's capability and his potential is right up there with the best of the lyricists for sure. But again, 
we have to score and judge and critique everything that cannabis put out and self-admittedly cannabis did put out some subpar material but again like i said still able to finish with an eight here in the lyric department which is a great score so cannabis a really really impressive lyricist no question Albums, he gets a 5.89 with four classics, and not only is that a great album score, I mean, we spoke about it, 21 albums for scoring, which is a lot of albums. I was under the impression that this man fell off and only had a handful of albums, so stupid me, I don't really know where the fuck I got that from. I kind of just was turned off to cannabis at one point for a little bit. It just seemed to be negative thing after negative thing for him. It was like... Yeah, he got played out by LL and Wyclef, and then he came out with a third album after that that was subpar. Um, You know, then he started talking about some things where I was like, man, who wants to hear this shit? Now, again, that's only my personal opinion. That doesn't mean it was bad, but I'm just explaining where my mind frame was at the time. You know, then later he goes, has the battle with disaster and forgets his rhymes and pulls out a pad and... There's just been some really, really ugly negative things that have involved cannabis. Now, again, none of this takes away from cannabis's ability to rap. Cannabis is a ridiculous lyricist, no question. But I'm just trying to explain how it went under the radar for me, being a huge cannabis fan, at least early on, that he had 21 albums. I mean, that means I was missing 15 albums in my head where I I didn't even know they existed. Um... You know, to have that many albums and have not a single weak or average album, eight good albums, five great albums, three borderline classics, and then to add the four points for the four classics on top of it, like I said, not only is that a great album score, but you're adding four classics on top of it. So between the lyrics and the albums, really, really incredible stuff here from Cannabis, no question. Songs, he gets a plus 1.8. So, again, we speak about this all the time. If you're plus or minus a full point in this department, that starts to become a significant thing that really starts to have a significant effect on the change in your score that that's going to give you. So, plus 1.8 here from Cannabis, almost a full two points here. And that came from 250 registered songs. 46 of those were great. Not a single one was weak. So, that comes out to 18% of his songs. So that comes out to 18% of his songs being great. You move that decimal place and he gets plus a 1.8. So again, really solid stuff here from Cannabis. Impact, he gets a five and a half. And, you know, like I spoke about in my write-up, I mean, if Cannabis has an Achilles heel, it's Impact for sure. And I, I do think it's kind of odd. We've been seeing lately a bit of a pattern here where we're seeing, I don't want to say all the incredible lyricists because that's certainly not the case, but... We are seeing some of these top lyrical guys suffering in the impact department here. And I mean, that kind of just fits right into your your typical assumptions about the rap industry when we talk about, you know, the better guys not really getting the more success. We're kind of seeing that trade-off in a lot of scenarios here where it's like, which one do you want? Do you want the high lyric score or do you want the high impact score? Because it almost seems like it has to be one or the other. And, you know, maybe Cannabis can get a 7 here in lyrics and a a 6.5 in impact. And I'm not specifically speaking on Cannabis because I know why Cannabis has the impact score that he has. I'm just trying to point out that it is starting to become a little bit ironic how many people we are seeing score so high lyrically. And then they're suffering in the impact department and it's almost like, shit, did they do enough 
everywhere else to make up for that low impact score because we've seen so many times just above average, just below average, or average scores are landing you near the bottom here. So if we're getting four, four and a half, five, five and a half, things like that in impact, you know, if they're just getting slightly above average scores in the other departments, that's going to put them near the bottom. So they're going to need good scores in other departments, probably just to put them near the middle. They're going to need great scores in other departments to put them near the top. And they're going to need great scores in other departments with classics that they really want to finish as, you know, one of the best of all time. So it's definitely difficult when you get, you know, scores of five and a half, four and a half, things like that around here. But again, some of these guys are such incredible artists that they're still finishing very high anyway. So... It'll be interesting to see going forward how many more people we get that are really top lyricists and still get a really large impact score because that's definitely not a common thing that we see among artists, at least not so far anyway. So speaking on how cannabis got that five and a half, I mean, if you look at certain things like the names that cannabis has influenced, only two names there really. I mean, there was a couple of other questionable ones, but I don't really point out the questionable ones they kind of just get taken into consideration as like an overall number but i mean even the two names cassidy and sig again this is not to shit on cassidy or sig love both of those dudes but not the biggest name so to only have two names and to have them be those two names is obviously not a huge impact when it comes to influencing other artists music again there are other ways to get good scores in this department but Let's talk about some of those things now and see why they didn't really carry him very high either. So, like I said, you have the small list of names there. You had no real crazy commercial or mainstream success for Cannabis. It's not like he had platinum albums or diamond albums. You know, didn't break any records with record sales, didn't win any awards, none of these crazy things. Again, I don't really know exactly what Cannabis' aim was when he came out and if any of that was really his goal ever. But again, I can't just say, well, he didn't want that. I mean, he didn't get it. So whether he wanted it or not, he has to be marked down as the fact that he didn't get it. Take somebody like Vinny Paz, for example, who they clearly didn't want it, right? But Vinny Paz still moved X amount of units independently. And I don't remember exactly what the number was. I think it was somewhere around 400,000 or something like that. I mean... To move that many records independently, and again, don't quote me on that number, I could be really totally off, but I'm just trying to make a point. To just sell that many albums by yourself without having somebody co-sign you or a label pushing you or the machine pushing you or having this huge budget where, you know, you got your fucking billboards everywhere as a commercial every three minutes on the radio about your album, whatever it is. To move that many units or to sell that many copies by yourself like that, especially when you're visibly and clearly not looking to go commercial or have any mainstream or radio or any type of success like that and to still sell that many copies of your albums and stuff, you know, yes, it's not going to be as impactful as having 10 Diamond albums, 15 number one songs and breaking all these records, right? It's not going to be as impactful as that. But you are still making up for it a little bit in some way, shape, or form in the direction that you decided that you wanted to go with your career. Which again, this is these people's careers, these people's art and stuff like that. So I don't want to sit here and act like I'm telling people what they should and shouldn't do. But I am going to judge and score and grade everything that somebody does, whether it's a positive or a negative. So you keep all those things in mind and, you know, cannabis is probably off the bat, below average for impact just based off of those two things. But 
again, we do have to keep in mind that he did have a very publicized feud with a very, very well-known and well-respected artist in LL Cool J, one of the OGs in hip-hop for sure, a top five rapper of the 80s, no question about that. And he did have some other publicized feuds and stuff like that. He had some battles with, you know, Eminem was certainly not as big as the LL Cool J one, but he did have some other issues, altercations, and things that had gone on with some other really big-name artists and stuff like that. He also worked with some really big-name artists. I mean, when it came to being a lyricist and stuff like that, Cannabis has always been pretty well-respected. It was kind of a lot of other things that people used to point to and try to kind of pick on Cannabis for. But when it came to lyrics, I never really heard too many people try to shit on Cannabis as far as lyrics were concerned, except for just saying that Cannabis was using like complicated words and maybe talking about some things that people, you know, your general hip-hop audience just wasn't interested in. Now, all things taken into consideration, I think that, yes, you do have to keep in mind the fact that some of Cannabis's quote-unquote biggest things were negative. They were negative things. It was the battle with LL Cool J, and whether you think he lyrically won or lost that battle, in the long run, he lost the battle because he essentially got his career shut down. Um, and in LL Cool J's song, he says, look over your shoulder, nigga, that's where you're headed, and then shut Cannabis's career down. So it's a very prophetic line and, you know, with shit like that, it's like, was anything overly complicated about the rhyme? Was there a crazy rhyme scheme? No. Was there a lot of syllables? No. But it was just a prophetic line of you saying, look over your shoulder, that's where you're headed. And then you sent the guy going backwards. It's like, shit, you know, it's like Ali saying when he's, what round he's going to knock somebody out in or Babe Ruth going to the plate and call him where he's hitting his home run. So... Again, I, I don't want to get into who won the Cannabis and LL Beef as far as who was better on the song lyrically. But I mean, when you look at their careers, there's no doubt that LL comes out on top there. So yes, Cannabis did have some well-publicized things that went on. And yes, most of them were not in his favor and his benefit. But they still did go on and they did have an impact on the hip-hop community. I mean, the Cannabis and LL Cool J Beef was pretty big when it happened. And Cannabis had a pretty decent buzz when he came out. I mean, he hit the scene and took it by storm right away. Again, that's not to say that he was doing these commercial things like a mo' money, mo' problems and things like that. It wasn't stuff like that, but it was like, oh shit, this dude is nice and here he comes. So I just think all things taken into consideration, Cannabis stays just above average for impact. That could have been a lot higher had he not taken part in some of these things that wound up being really negative for him. I think that... Cannabis probably could have carved out some better lanes for himself, but again, this is his art, this is his career, this is his music, I'm not here to tell him what he should or shouldn't do, and I can guarantee you that Cannabis is going to have a way higher impact score than I will, so again, I'm in no position to give Cannabis any advice or criticize the choices that he made in his career, but again, I have to score what he did, so he gets a just above average score there of 5.5 for impact. And originality, he gets an eight and a half. Like I spoke about, man. I mean, Cannabis was pretty original on almost every aspect. He doesn't get, you know, a 10 here because there's nothing ridiculous about Cannabis. It's not like he's rapping about retarded things that nobody else is rapping about. Yes, his material and his content was original, but again, it wasn't out of totally out of left field. His image, again, wasn't totally out in left field. So the 10s are just almost impossible to get, but you would have to be 
as original as you possibly could in every department. So we can wipe the 10 out right away for cannabis just not being an absolutely ridiculous out of left field character. That brings us down to a nine and a half and we have to keep into consideration that cannabis sampled a fair amount and he did repeat a fair amount of lines. Again, I don't think this is cannabis trying to sneakily steal shit or anything like that. I think that cannabis was just mostly paying homage, but again, there are some songs there that couldn't have been what they were without the other artist samples or, you know, some bars that couldn't have been what they were without the lines that he took from other people. So again, it has to be taken into consideration. So I just think as you, you take everything into account here, no, he wasn't a ridiculous character out of left field. No, again, his image wasn't out in left field and absolutely retarded or hilarious or completely ridiculous. And yes, he did sample a decent amount and he did take a decent amount of lines from people or repeat a decent amount of lines from people, whatever way you would like to word it. But again, he was able to heavily outweigh that. He had a unique rhyme style. His voice was pretty original. His content, his song topics, um, his overall message, all that was pretty original. And again, if you look at Cannabis's image, like I said, not ridiculous and not out of left field, but pretty simple and pretty unique to himself. It was usually just, you know, jeans and a wife beater and some rocker shades or something like that, which you don't see people in hip hop dressing like that. So a lot of things to take into consideration there, but definitely the good outweighing the bad when it came to originality for cannabis, a pretty unique and original artist there, no question. So he gets a very solid score of eight and a half in the originality department there. So now you're going to add those six numbers up. We got the lyric score, the album score, the four points for the classics, the song score, the impact score, and the originality score. You're going to add them all up. You're going to divide by five because there's five categories. And that's going to give you a final rating of 6.74, which puts cannabis in drum roll, please. Ninth place of 190 artists done overall. Wow, so a couple of things to talk about here. First and foremost, an absolutely impressive finish from Cannabis here, finishing inside of our top 10 so far. And like I said, man, I was always a huge Cannabis fan, but for some reason things just went south and I stopped following him and really had absolutely no idea that this man continued to put out this much music at this high of a level. So I always thought Cannabis was incredible, but covering him here was a bit of a pleasant surprise as he not only had much more material than I realized that I had never heard, but most of it was top quality. Now, with Cannabis finishing inside of our top 10, this means that we're going to get a song breakdown for Cannabis, and I'm definitely majorly excited about this one. So Let's go to his list. We'll hit random. And this is Cannabis 2000 BC from his album of the same name, which came out in surprise, surprise, the year 2000. My 
this is a mixture of Mike and Muhammad Knock a nigga unconscious and talk shit If bare knuckle boxing, speed is the object Weaving and dodging with defensive blocking So in the ring you cannot win The top ten become nine dead If I ever decide to hop in with a one-two, one-two Shot to the chin, knock you out like ten shots of rock and gin A beautiful blend of power and strength From the top of my head, down to where my toe cuticles end I verbally burn a nigga, lyrically hurt a nigga Put a voodoo verse on the nigga, Kennedy curse a nigga Who can spit them words quicker than the average man? Who can embarrass a man? Bite you with fangs and mangle your hands On can to can, the cannabis can The cannabis can with the stamina to damage a man So let's get into what Cannabis says here. He comes in, he says, My offense is a mixture of Mike and Muhammad. Knock a nigga unconscious and talk shit. Now, a couple of things to note here. First of all, when he says my offense is a mixture of Mike and Muhammad, he's obviously referencing Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali, two legendary boxers that had very contrasting styles. So Mike Tyson was a very come forward and smash you as hard as I fucking can type of puncher, whereas Muhammad Ali was a defensive-minded first, very quick-handed and accurate puncher. Now, that's not to say that Ali couldn't punch, but Ali went about hurting you in a different fashion than Mike Tyson did. Again, two legends, both incredible. You could have a debate till the day you die about who would have won had they met each other in their primes or who had a better offense or defense or whatever the case is, but the point that he's trying to make is I'm a mixture of two legends that are totally opposite from each other. Now, the crazy thing here is, and Cannabis does this a decent amount, so we're going to have to pay attention to this. Bar 2 ends with, and talk shit. And there is no rhyme to that. That doesn't rhyme with anything. But, he just puts that in that place. So, where Cannabis has his rhyme is, my offense is a mixture of Mike and Muhammad. Knock a nigga unconscious. Okay, so he could have just said that, or he could have said talk shit and knock a nigga unconscious, right? So there's a lot of ways that cannabis could have went about this, but the point that I'm trying to make is it does rhyme and it's not a run on bar because even though he chose to put that word at the end of that bar, he could have chose just not to do that and the line left as itself would have made perfect sense. My offense is a mixture of Mike and Muhammad, knock a nigga unconscious. That would have made perfect sense, but he decides to add on and talk shit. And I think he's just trying to make a point that I'll I'll knock you the fuck out before I even say something, and then I'll talk shit. So I think all things considered here, there's nothing really that needs to be done with this bar. It's not going to gain or lose him any points at all, but I just want to point out that there are a decent amount of times where in Cannabis's following bar, he will continue off where he left in the previous bar, but the previous bar usually stands alone just fine. So it's usually not a run on bar. Again, he did have some run on bars, but I want to point out some examples of where it may seem like cannabis has a run on bar, but it's not technically a run on bar. Then he goes on to say, in bare knuckle boxing, speed is the object. Weaving and dodging with defensive blocking. So a couple of things here. He doesn't really nail those syllables perfectly. It's close, speed is the object, defensive blocking, weaving and dodging. Again, it's not perfect, but it's close enough where it's very impressive. And what he does have is 14 syllables rhymed. And he also has 
an A B A B A B A rhyme pattern here. So two very impressive things. Let's break it down. In bare knuckle boxing A, speed is B, the object A, weaving B, and dodging A with defense B if blocking A. So again, 14 syllables rhymed in an A, B, A, B, A, B, A rhyme pattern there. So two very, very impressive things here. And again, look at what he's saying. In bare knuckle boxing, speed is the object. Weaving and dodging with defensive blocking. So it all makes perfect sense. This is a prime example here of how somebody can do impressive things. We have 14 syllables rhymed. We have a very impressive rhyme pattern there that goes back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth for the two bars. And we still have all of this just make perfect sense. Now, is it a ridiculous line? Is it a crazy punchline, a metaphor, or something nuts like that where you're like, holy fuck? No. But the technicalities, the syllables, the rhyme schemes, and things like that, coupled with the fact that he's able to easily make this make perfect sense, is very impressive. Then he goes on to say, so in the ring, you cannot win. The top 10 become non-dead if I ever decide to hop in. Now this line is kind of the opposite of what we just saw on the line before. So on the line before, we don't really see any type of like crazy punchline or metaphor or anything, but the technicalities are dope and it still makes perfect sense. In this particular scenario, there's nothing overly ridiculous about the technicalities here. Yes, he does have a decent amount of syllables rhymed with seven but nothing where it's going to like raise this song score or anything like that, but a pretty dope line. In the ring, you cannot win. The top 10 become nine dead if I ever decide to hop in. Now, I want to point something else out here. Here's a perfect example, and I'm going to read the next two bars to you in sequence so you can understand what I'm saying. These two bars stand alone perfectly fine. So in the ring, you cannot win. The top 10 become nine dead if I ever decide to hop in. Right? That makes perfect sense. But then he continues on and says, with a one-two, one-two, shot to the chin. Knock you out like ten shots of vodka and gin. So again, another example where it looks like it's a run-on bar. The top ten become nine dead if I ever decide to hop in with a one-two, one-two, shot to the chin. But it's not, because those two bars stand alone by themselves totally fine. And then he decides to then go on and build off of that and start off with, with a one-two, one-two, shot to the chin. Now, speaking on the latter two bars there, with a one-two, one-two shot to the chin, knock you out like 10 shots of vodka and gin, you got a bunch of things here again. We got shot to the chin, vodka and gin, so that's eight syllables rhymed. We also have shot to and knock you. So on top of the eight syllables rhymed, it's with a one-two, one-two shot A to the chin, B, knock you A, out like 10 shots of vodka and gin b so again eight syllables rhymed an a b a b rhyme pattern there which is not the most complicated but still impressive stuff and different from the one that he had prior and it's a dope line i mean forget the the technicalities forget the syllables forget the rhyme schemes all that let's just look what he's saying with a one two one two shot to the chin knock you out like 10 shots of vodka and gin i mean most people, if they took 10 shots of vodka and gin, would probably be out. So while it's not the most ridiculous line I ever heard, it makes sense and it still is a pretty dope line. So this song is already, I mean, what are we, six bars in or something like that? I mean, this is at least a good song already. So you can see here, I'm, I'm glad we're getting a good display and not a half-assed song because 
Again, not to shit on cannabis, but he did have some of those, so I'm glad that we're not getting one of those. This is definitely a really solid display here by cannabis. Then he goes on from the knock you out like 10 shots of vodka and gin, and he says, the beautiful blend of power and strength from the top of my head down to where my toe cuticles in. So he says, the beautiful blend, right? And then that bar ends with of power and strength, because if it just ended with beautiful blend, it would be a run-on bar because the beautiful blend, the beautiful blend of what? And then it would have to go into of power and strength. So bar one is the beautiful blend of power and strength. Now, power end doesn't rhyme with beautiful, but blend and strength are a rhyme there. So strength is okay, right? And then the next bar, from the top of my head down to where my toe cuticles end. End and strength rhyme. So bar one does rhyme with bar two, and the rhymes are in the right place. There's no run-on bars, there's no none of that, right? But what you may not be recognizing is the opening line of that bar, the beautiful blend, rhymes with cuticles end. So we have eight plus syllables rhymed on these two bars, probably closer to ten because, you know, head is kind of, ah, it's not totally a rhyme, but it's right there, so... Beautiful blend, cuticles end, that's eight, strength head. So, you know, whatever. If you want to get nitpicky, it's only eight syllables. If you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, it's ten syllables. Either way, impressive stuff. He continues to raise this song score here. And not a ridiculous punchline. Nothing really overly insane here. But, again, it makes perfect sense with the technicalities being strong. The beautiful blend of power and strength. From the top of my head down to where my toe cuticles end. He uses a very artistic and visual way to express that he's trying to say, my whole body is strong, bro. Beautiful blend of power and strength on every fucking centimeter of me from the top of my head down to where my toe cuticles end. So very vivid, very descriptive, very visual, able to kind of paint a picture there of the point that he's trying to get across. And again, like I said, cannabis was very good at doing things like this and giving examples and stuff like that and relating two unrelated things to make a really solid, strong point. Then he goes on to say, I'll verbally burn a nigga, lyrically hurt a nigga, put a voodoo verse on a nigga, Kennedy curse a nigga. So it's one of those things where it may sound a little deceptive and it may sound like more syllables than it actually is, but it's really just burn, hurt, verse, curse, things like that. He kind of just keeps doing that and then repeats like the same two, three, four words after that or whatever it is, which again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I just don't want anybody to say, holy shit, a lot of syllables rhyme there. It's really not. It's only four single syllable rhymes. So as far as the technicalities are concerned, nothing overly impressive there. When it comes to what he says, I mean, he's all... Every four, the all four things that he says, I verbally burn a nigga, lyrically hurt a nigga, put a voodoo verse on a nigga, Kennedy curse a nigga. All four things he's saying the exact same thing. He's just saying these four things in a different way. And that's basically what I was just talking to you about in the line before where cannabis is very good at comparing things and giving examples and relating things that are unrelatable and making them relate to each other to make a solid point. So He's giving you four different examples of why he's a problem and how he fucks everybody up lyrically. Then he goes on to say, Who could spit the words quicker than the average man? 
Who can embarrass a man, bite you with fangs, and mangle your hands on candid cam? So again, when we break down the technicalities here, nothing overly impressive, no ridiculous amount of syllables rhyme, no crazy rhyme schemes. And when we break down the actual words of what he's saying, again, he's not really saying anything ridiculous. He's just being very vivid and descriptive and just saying, I'll fuck you up, I'll bite you with fangs and mangle your hands on candid cam. So again, these are not things that are necessarily raising the song score, but they just speak to Cannabis' artistry. And then, you know, to to pick up where he left off, he, he leaves off there asking a question, who can embarrass a man, bite you with fangs, and mangle your hands on candid cam? And he goes on to say, the cannabis can, the cannabis can, with the stamina to damage a man. So when you take cannabis can, stamina, damage a man, you have easily over eight syllables rhyme there, so... This song is, at this point, right in between a good and a great song. I mean, it, it rose rapidly. That's only one verse. There's three verses in this song. I'm not saying this because I remember what I scored it. I'm just saying it because I know Cannabis. I absolutely love this song. It's one of my favorite Cannabis songs. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that he goes nuts on the rest of the song. And this will easily score as a great song. But almost there already, just off of the first verse alone and stuff like that. Then the hook, he says, it's been a long time, I shouldn't have left you without a strong rhyme to step to. I told y'all, come on, I roast y'all, come on, so come on, hold on, hold on. So again, hooks are hooks, choruses are choruses, people could just repeat the same thing over and over if they want. It's not in a scenario where I'm going to take away points for technicalities on hooks because your hook is not really required to be technical. Um... If anything, almost the only thing that it's required to be is repetitive, right? Even if none of the bars repeat themselves, the hook is going to repeat itself at some point. So we've spoke about this before. If you can only make hooks where you're just saying one word over and over again, or you can only make hooks where you're just saying one line eight times or two bars four times or something like that, yeah, you're going to start to lose credit because you're showing an inability to do other things. Definitely not the case here with cannabis, but... I did want to just read through the hook and, you know, get through it and just point out that there really isn't anything overly ridiculous about the hook. But again, we don't take points off for people repeating themselves in hooks or anything like that. So let's let the, the second half of that hook repeat again, and then it will get into Cannabis' second verse, and we'll break that down. It's been a long time. I should have never left you without a strong rhyme to step to. I told y'all. I roast y'all. Cannabis's bars at all. I want to point out two things right away about this verse. I assume that most of you would notice that almost every single bar ends with either on it or for it, right? And you can't just keep saying the same thing and that's a rhyme. On it, for it, on it, for it, on it, for it. 
but he rhymes the word before on it and for it. Okay, so I want to point out that he keeps that entire thing for the whole 16 bars. Die for it, homicide for it, remain silent for it, federal time for it, apologize for it, why Clef spoiled it, dime on it, 1999 on it, bomb on it, line for it, wind on it, zine on it, line for it, eye for it, out of order, sign on it. Okay, so he keeps the same exact rhyme scheme the entire 16 bars, which is not only very difficult to do, but very rare. I'm through near 200 people, and I want to say that I've seen less than three to five people do this so far. So again, it's a difficult thing to do. It's not impossible, but it's a difficult thing to do. I'm sure more people are capable of doing it than have done it. That's not to say that three to five people are capable of doing it. There have been some incredible lyricists that I'm sure were capable of doing it, but they didn't. Only about three to five people have done that so far. So it's difficult and it's rare. And that adds another quarter point to the song score. So again, this is almost up to a three already. And we haven't even started breaking down Cannabis' second verse yet. So let's get into his second verse here. He says, yo, I spit for it, rhyme for it, live for it, die for it, back out the nine, commit a homicide for it. So first of all, we have, yo, I spit for it, A, rhyme for it, B, live for it, A, die for it, B, back out the nine, commit a homicide for it, B. So we have an A, B, A, B, B rhyme pattern there, which is impressive and different than the other two that he used in his first verse. And again, nothing majorly technically ridiculous here. I mean, yes, we have the rhyme scheme here, which alludes to the technical aspects of what he's doing. And we still have a line that makes perfect sense. Yo, I spit for it, rhyme for it, live for it, die for it, back out the nine, commit a homicide for it. Bars make perfect sense. They lead into each other well. And he's basically just trying to explain to you, I'll do anything for hip hop, bro. Like, I live this shit, and I'll do anything for it. But again, he manages to find a way to say what he wants to say, make the point that he wants to make, but still have impressive technicalities in there without sacrificing the words. Then he goes on to say, If I'm handcuffed with the right to remain silent for it, I'm a blow trial and do the federal time for it. So again, cannabis using examples and relating things that are completely unrelated to make a strong point here. The whole entire verse is dedicated to, I'll do anything for hip-hop. We're going to do this. I'm going to do that. You should do this. I'm going to do that. And that's basically his whole point. I'm going to spit for it, rhyme for it, live for it, die for it, back out the nine, commit a homicide for it. If I'm handcuffed with the right to remain silent for it, I'm going to blow trial and do the federal time for it. You know, again, just painting a picture. I don't give a fuck. Arrest me. Kill me. Do this. Do that. I don't give a shit. Whatever I got to do for it, I'm going to do for it. Then he says, you mad at the last album? I apologize for it. Yo, I can't call it. Motherfucking Wyclef spoiled it. Now, I spoke earlier about how cannabis got played basically by LL Cool J and Wyclef. Now, I'm none of these three people, nor was I involved in any of this or, or around that scene when any of this was going on. So I, I don't have firsthand experience of what happened, but I did listen to all the songs and I did watch and listen to a lot of interviews and I know what the general consensus is. And basically, it kind of sounds like cannabis comes into the game and 
Wyclef is basically the one that's ushering him in. And it seems that Cannabis probably signed some sort of legalities that were not in his benefit, which most people do in the hip-hop industry because if you're not willing to sign a shitty contract, no one will sign you. Somebody else will sign a shitty contract, so we'll just sign them and we'll make money off of them. We don't need you. You need us, right? And this is the way that shit works a lot of times. Unless you're in a position of power or you have something that nobody else has and you have the means to make demands and negotiations and stuff like that. But again, this usually is not the case with somebody that's not established and is trying to get their foot in the door. So LL Cool J kind of takes him under his wing a little bit, puts him on a song, him and LL get into a feud. And that winds up where Wyclef and LL get into a feud. Because remember, Wyclef is supposed to be with cannabis in all of this. A couple years go by, I'm sure Cannabis' contract or whatever it was that he signed is up, and it basically becomes public that LL Cool J and Wyclef were somewhat in cahoots, and I can't say that they planned this, but they were essentially both eating off of Cannabis, probably more than Cannabis was eating off of Cannabis. And it turned into like a laughing stock where it's like, you know, you think we're dissing each other, and at the end of the day... We're both eating off of you. Like, you're a clown. You don't even have... Like, you're just being played out by both of us. Ignore that me and him are making diss tracks to each other. You're at the low end of the totem pole, bro. Yeah, the two top guys might be bickering, but the two top guys are collecting all of the bottom guys' checks. So it's like... It was just not a cool situation that Cannabis got put in. And do I think that Wyclef ruined Cannabis's first album or whatever? Um, personally, I don't because Cannabis's first album is one of my top 25 favorite hip hop albums of all time. So to even utter the words that somebody ruined that to me, like kind of doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, how did you ruin something that wasn't ruined? Right. But looking at it from another perspective, which is probably the perspective that Cannabis is looking at it from, it's not a secret that cannabis is sometimes looked at as one of the worst beat pickers of all time. Now, I don't know how much of cannabis's own opinions of, I want this beat or I want that beat or going into it as opposed to him having a limited selection of only being able to choose beats from certain people. Again, I'm not a hundred percent sure which it is, but the fact of the matter is that a lot of people deem cannabis to have picked terrible beats for pretty much his entire career now is him picking terrible beats gonna affect his scores in any way no it's not because i'm not gonna say well in my opinion these beats suck so this song sucks that's not the way it works right like cannabis didn't make the beat i don't make beats i don't know what's difficult to do what's not to do so i can't judge songs based off of the beats as far as i'm concerned right now whether a beat is good or not is subjective because I don't have any objective facts to base whether a beat is good or not on. I only have my opinion and I can listen to it and say, I love this beat or I hate this beat. Whereas I may say I love this beat and a producer may say, this beat is fucking terrible, bro. This is the most simplistic, dumbest thing. I could have made this in five minutes on Fruity Loops. Oh, I, I don't know, bro. You know what I'm saying? I don't know that shit. I just know I like the way it sounded. I don't give a fuck how complicated it is. So I'm just trying to make a point that I can't judge somebody based off of something that they're not doing. But 
the general public can. So if Cannabis puts out some shit and people are like, yeah, I mean, he's a dope lyricist, but he just has whack songs. Like his beats are fucking terrible and whatever, right? No, people are not really going to buy his album or if they did, they're not going to buy the next one. So I do understand the point that Cannabis is trying to make by saying, yo, I can't call it motherfucking Wyclef spoiled it. Again, from my perspective, nobody spoiled it because it's one of my favorite hip hop albums of all time, but probably just something that Cannabis felt he needed to address or speak on to his fans that, you know, had this huge buzz when he came out, you know, Cannabis, 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 right? And then he may have felt like he let them down with that album. He, he didn't let me down. I fucking love that album. So, again, I can't speak for the rest of his fan base. Maybe it's something that he felt he needed to address, so he did. There's nothing overly impressive about that line, whether it comes to the syllables or rhyme schemes or, you know, the actual words of what he's saying. That's kind of just a filler ball where he's just expressing something that he felt was probably important to address. Then he goes on to say, but this time for 99, I got five on it. You should double up and put a dime on it. Matter of fact, triple your nickel and put 1499 on it. I'm a shine on it. Watch Flex drop the bomb on it. About 10 times on it while people call the request line for it. Cypher Sounds keep pushing rewind on it. So now the reason that I'm kind of just running through these bars is because there isn't really much to talk about here. Everything that he's saying is very straightforward, self-explanatory. There's no crazy rhyme schemes. There's not a lot of syllables rhymed or anything, so... I just wanted to run through them in succession. Again, he's just furthering, making these strong, valid points of, you know, you should put a dime, you should double up and put a dime on it. Matter of fact, triple your nickel and put fourteen ninety nine on it. I'm a shine on it. Watch Flex drop the bomb on it about ten times on it while people call the request line for it. Cypher sounds keep pushing rewind on it. Now again, we spoke about cannabis's limited mainstream and commercial success so in all reality this picture that cannabis is painting never really came to fruition that doesn't mean that it's whack because i do think that cannabis was certainly skilled enough and good enough to have these things come to fruition this is probably what cannabis deserved unfortunately it's not really what he got but let's check out the last couple of bars and see how he finishes it off here he says Look out for the album with the cannabis design on it. 12 o'clock in the morning, you'll be standing in line for it. So, you know how when things are released, you know, a certain video game is released at midnight on a certain night, or a pair of Jordans are released at midnight on a certain night, or an album is released at midnight a certain night. You know, if you want to be one of the first people to get that, or you want to get it when it comes out, or make sure you get it before it's sold out. I mean, you know, depending on what it is, a pair of Jordans or something like that. People will fucking line up days before that shit comes out and sleep outside because they want to make sure they get it. Whatever. I'm not going to state my opinion on that. And he's not even being that ridiculous. He's just saying 12 o'clock in the morning, you'll be standing in line for it. But making a point that, yeah, you guys better go out and cop it the moment it drops. Again, I don't know that Cannabis really had any lines at 12 o'clock in the morning waiting for his albums outside the record stores. It's not to say he didn't deserve it. I just don't think that he got it. But... Again, just trying to paint a vivid artistic picture here of how much he cares and what he's willing to do for hip-hop and stuff like that. And he goes on to say, I'm a live poet with a sharp era eye for it because I tear down mics and put an outer order sign on it. So one of the rare times here in these bars where Cannabis said something other than for it or on it, and he said, I'm a live poet, which again, it rhymes with the same thing. So he was able to keep that throughout the course of the song. 
But he did throw in the one extra time there where he did rhyme something different, and it was more than one syllable. And he ends his verse by saying, I tear down mics and put an out-of-order sign on it. So, pretty cool line there from Cannabis. I mean, you hear all these ways that people try to explain killing songs, or, you know, I wrecked the mic, or I tore it down, or I did this, or I did that. So, you know, he's kind of saying, using the metaphor, I tore it down. And then turning it into something literal. I tear down mics and put an out-of-order sign on it. Like, nobody can even fucking use it after me. So, nothing overly impressive on that verse there. But we do see classic cannabis where he's able to, again, relate these unrelatable things and compare these incomparable things in order to address a certain point and make a strong point that he's trying to make. So, again... He does a very good job of that there. Did not lose any points for anything anywhere. Was able to add to the overall song score because he was able to keep that rhyme scheme through a full course of 16 bars, which again is difficult and rare. But as far as the lines and the technicalities were concerned, nothing overly ridiculous in that verse. Just maybe one or two things here and there, but this is very, very close to being a great song here if it's not already. Again, I'm not being overly ridiculous with the numbers right now and counting perfectly the way that I do when I listen to the songs when I'm scoring them to make sure that I get everything exactly right. That being because I'm pretty sure that this is going to wind up being well over a three anyway. So, you know, I don't really have to be completely perfectly precise with it. Also because these things are never perfect anyway. This song was listened to as, let's say, Cannabis' 14th song where I started to pick up on habits that he was doing or this or that, and it's like, oh, okay, he does this a lot, or he can't do this, or he's very good at doing this. So these are things that over the course of time can obviously influence the score that someone's getting on their song, depending on whether they constantly do that or they're never able to do that or whatever the case may be. So let's let the rest of the hook rock out, and then we'll break down Cannabis's third verse, and we can get an estimate on what this song scored here. Cannabis, 2000 BC, from his second solo album, 2000 BC, which came out in the year 2000. So, let's break down these last bars and discuss the scoring for this particular song, and then we can move on to Black Star. 
So he comes into the third verse, he says, yo, I rip shit with the ballistic characteristics of a hollow tip at point blank distance. So we have nine syllables rhymed on the two bars there, which is very impressive. Again, this all makes perfect sense. I rip shit with the ballistic characteristics of a hollow tip at point blank distance. For anybody who doesn't know what ballistics is, ballistics is basically the science behind firearms or any projectile for that matter. So again, ballistic characteristics of a hollow tip at point blank distance. A hollow tip is a bullet that explodes and like a shotgun shell has shrapnel in it, right? A hollow tip doesn't necessarily have shrapnel in it, but it has a hollow tip as the name would state. And it has much more devastating effects when it hits you than a regular bullet, which sounds ridiculous to say because you could easily die from a regular bullet. But again, the hollow tip is a more aggressive shot that's probably going to do worse things to you. And not only that, he's saying a hollow tip at point blank distance. So again, nine syllables rhyme there. Everything leads into each other well, makes perfect sense. And this is a really solid line of him comparing the way that he fucking rips verses to the ballistic characteristics of a hollow tip at point blank distance, which would obviously be very detrimental to anyone. So point well taken there, Cannabis. <laughs> With that line, quite frankly, this is probably at a great song there. I'm sure he's going to have more solid lines going forward, but nonetheless, this is probably going to wind up being scored as a great song. Then he says, I flip shit when I spit shit. Father, forgive this. I just snatched the Jesus piece off some Christians. So a couple of things to point out here. It's flip shit, spit shit. So it's really just flip and spit. So not four syllables there on those two rhymes. Then he does go on to forgive this. So those are two with give this. And then Christian. So we do have six syllables rhyme there. Again, it's not enough to raise the song score or be anything overly impressive, but a pretty solid line here where he's kind of trying to have like a play on things where he's saying like, if I jack somebody, right? Okay, you wearing a fucking gold chain through the wrong neighborhood, bro. Give me that shit, right? But then it's like, damn, but I just stole Jesus off of somebody's neck. Like, that's fucked up. You know what I'm saying? Like... So he kind of has a play on it there where he's pointing out that he's doing this this crazy shit with rapping. I'm, I'm, I have the ballistic characteristics of a hollow tip at point blank distance. I flip shit when I spit shit. Father, forgive this. I just snatched the Jesus piece off some Christians. Nothing that would really raise the song score there. No overly ridiculous technicalities or any ridiculous line. But again, making a point there. And he doesn't need the song score to be raised. We're already at a great song here, like I said, but just want to point out the, the points that he's trying to make by saying what he's saying. And again, that line stands by itself and makes sense by itself, but he chooses after that to pick up off of that, I just snatched the Jesus piece off some Christians and say, because they sounded like idiots. They went from silver to gold to platinum. After the millennium, they'll probably be wearing iridium. They so gassed if a bitch sucked they dick, they probably come helium. So a bit of give and take here from cannabis, it's like, because they sounded like idiots. Which doesn't directly rhyme with anything, but again, you have all these plays on words. They sounded like idiots. Platinum, millennium, iridium, helium, shit like that. So, again, the technicalities are not there where he's going to be getting extra points for syllables rhymed or rhyme schemes or anything like that. 
but we do have some give and take scenarios where idiots doesn't really directly rhyme with anything but then we do have platinum millennium iridium helium and we do have the line where he says they so gassed if a bitch sucked they dick they probably come helium helium is a gas on the periodic table and the term so gassed you're so gassed or, i'm so gassed or they're so gassed you know, to gas somebody up is basically to pump up their ego and give them like a false arrogance and shit like that. So he's basically just saying, they're so gassed if a bitch sucked their dick, they probably come helium. I was never a giant fan of this line, but again, it's not going to matter at this point. You don't have to give Cannabis any credit for anything here. We could just watch the whole rest of the verse. This is still going to be a great song no matter what. So... I'll let you guys do what you want to do with that line and we'll just continue on breaking down these lyrics for cannabis so we can see what cannabis in general was able to bring to the table. He says, y'all niggas can't be serious. I was nice before ice, before Christ, before the words let there be light and a light took over the night. I was born with a mic, Lord of the mic, before all plant and animal life. So again, we see cannabis doing here what he does quite often and what he's very good at. So he's trying to make a point of how long he's been dope for. And this is another example of, like I said, when Jadakiss said, you know, when my coat come in, they got to use a scale that they weigh the whales with. Obviously, you're not selling that much coke that you have to weigh tons and tons of it on a whale scale. But he's trying to make a point that he's got a lot of it, right? Obviously, cannabis wasn't spitting before Christ and the words, let there be light. Right? Cannabis couldn't have been here before the fucking planet existed. But again, he's being ridiculously extreme to try to make a point. I was nice before ice, before Christ, before the words let there be light, and then light took over the night. I was born with a mic, lord of the mic, before all plant and animal life. So just making strong points here, relating things that are not related to each other to make a very valid, ridiculous, extreme, strong point of how long he's been dope at rapping for. Continues on with this. Took this rap shit to new heights before the Wright brothers took flight. Before dog fighting and aerial strikes. Before MCs picked up pens and started to write. Before promotional marketing and poster snipes. Now, for anybody who doesn't know what a poster snipe is, you I actually wasn't aware of what it was, and this is a perfect example of how I pay attention to every word that everybody's saying and I remember hearing Cannabis saying this and I immediately paused the song and said, what, what is he talking about right here? Because again, Cannabis is not the type of person to just say random things that don't make sense. So when Cannabis says something that I'm not really aware of what he's talking about, I better go do myself and Cannabis and you listen as a favor and go look it up so I can understand. So if you type in post the snipes, it's just basically like a promotional flyer is essentially what it is. It's just kind of another way of saying promotional flyer, post the snipes. It's these little, you know, uh, poster billboard things that people would stick up on walls of cannabis has a show Friday night or whatever the case is. So again, you know, nothing overly ridiculous here. Cannabis is doing a good job continuing on with the point that he's trying to make of how long he's been dope for. The can I bust a bust up mics, punch out lights, punch out your motherfucking eyesight for the title bout fight. Ask Ty Fife, I snatched the track for half price. The cannabis is too nice. Give me that mic. So just your typical aggressive, I'm nice, I'm ridiculous. I dare somebody to try to match what I'm doing on this fucking mic right now. I'll kill you with this microphone type shit from cannabis. 
Then the hook plays out, and that's the end of the song. So without a doubt, this gets scored a three. This is a great song, no question about that. And like I said, this is one of my personal favorite cannabis songs of all time. So I'm definitely glad that we were able to get something like this on the breakdown and not some mediocre cannabis song where he decided to take off or something like that. I think when things like that happen, I'm probably going to wind up just picking a song at that point. I'll try to avoid picking a song if I can, but I think that if it's going to give us shit like that, I'll probably just go ahead and pick a song that I remember that person being dope in so we can get an idea of why this person finished so high because that's obviously the point of why we're giving the song breakdown, right? We're breaking down Cannabis's song where we don't break down most other people's songs because Cannabis finished higher both lyrically and overall than most other people. So I want to give you guys a, a visual and an audio of why Cannabis finished higher than most other people. So like I said, obviously a great song right there. No question about that. So we got to give a major shout out to Cannabis for an incredible finish here inside of our top 10 overall so far and giving us a great song breakdown right there. So credit to him on that. And now we can move on to Brooklyn hip hop duo Black Star. So like I said, both members of this group did make the cut and were scored as individuals, so all of the group's material as well as each artist's solo works will count. We'll start off here with some background info on the group as a whole, and then we'll move into each of its members individually in the order that they came out. So Black Star's origins listed as Brooklyn, New York, United States. Genres are listed as alternative hip-hop. Years active are listed as 1997 to present, and its members are listed as Most Def and Talib Kweli. So, something I've been starting to notice here lately is 99% of the time that an artist has alternative hip-hop listed as one of their genres, they typically get very high originality scores. So it'll be interesting to see if that pattern continues today, but other than that, nothing too out of the ordinary here, so let's get into some more background info on the group as a whole and see what we find there. Black Star is an American hip-hop duo formed in 1997 from Brooklyn, New York City. The duo is composed of rappers Most Def and Talib Kweli. The duo is named after the Black Star Line, a shipping company founded by Marcus Garvey. They have released a number of singles and one album, Most Def and Talib Kweli are Black Star on September 29th, 1998. So pretty basic info there on the group. I did think it was pretty interesting that these two came out as a group in 1998 with an album, never officially broke up or disbanded in any way, but have both gone on since then to drop multiple solo albums, but have never made another project together. Now, I do feel the need to add here that I did read up that a second album with producer Madlib was actually completed in 2019 and awaiting a release date, but it's now three years removed to that, and I've never heard another word about it. So who knows if we'll ever get to hear that one or not, but for now, let's move on to each of the group's members individually and see how they did. We're going to start off with Most Deaf first, as he was the first of the two to have a solo album out, which came out in 1999. His birth name is Dante Terrell Smith, also known as Yassine Bey, Most Def, Black Dante, Dante Bees, Flacco, and El Bey the Moor. Born December 11th, 1973 in Brooklyn, New York City, United States. Genres are listed as alternative hip-hop, conscious hip-hop, and progressive rap. Instruments are listed as vocals, keyboards, bass guitar, sampler, and drums and his years active are listed as 1994 to 2016. So, 
a couple of things here. First and foremost, I was always under the impression prior to this study that most deaf's real name was Yasin Bey. Now again, I vocalized not only that I don't claim to be an expert on rappers' government names, but also that I wasn't ever a huge most deaf fan, so while this doesn't really surprise me very much, I was caught a little off guard by that. Also, I personally love seeing artists that are able to play instruments, as that is definitely not the norm with most hip-hop artists that we cover. So definitely some cool stuff there with Most Def being able to play bass, guitar, and drums as well as make beats and stuff. So talented musician there for sure. Also, we see his years active listed as 1994 to 2016, meaning that he officially is no longer active in making music, which seems a bit odd to me considering that I just saw that Blackstar completed a second album in 2019, but again, that never really came out, so I'm not really sure what's up with that dynamic there. Most Def also had an album called Negus out in 2019, but it was under the Yasin Bey name, and I'm not even sure it's a hip-hop album, so... I don't have full clarification on either of those things, but if I had to guess, it could possibly be that he is no longer putting out hip-hop music under the name Most Def anymore, because it doesn't appear that he is retired from music, but we'll have to be patient and see what happens with that going forward. For now, let's read up on what I wrote down for Most Def while listening to him. Although I had heard some Most Def songs, I never had any of his albums or was overly informed on most of his material but I do know he's pretty well revered inside the hip-hop community. I have to say that even though for the most part I enjoyed his sound, technically I was a bit let down. He did have a decent vocabulary with some big words, but rhymes got random a lot. He was pretty good in spots with multisyllabic rhymes and had his fair share of deep lines with strong points, but he also took shortcuts and used run-on bars a decent amount. He was, however, good at keeping a topic throughout a song and finished just above average lyrically overall. Another thing that shocked me a bit was the relatively small catalog most presented. He only registered four solo albums and one album with Group Blackstar for scoring. One of those albums was great, three of them were good, and the remaining one was average. Of his 83 qualified songs, three were great, another 25 were good, and another three were weak. When it came to Impact, his name alone carried most of the weight as he hasn't had many major accomplishments with his small body of work and didn't seem to influence many other artists aside from RZA. While his general sound was a bit reminiscent of A Tribe Called Quest, overall he was pretty original with his message and image as well as never seeming to follow any trends or sell out. So sounds like a bit of give and take there for most Def. Sounded like mostly good stuff, but again, when someone comes with a reputation that precedes them, Sometimes you expect things to be at a certain level, and quite frankly, they're just not there. So let's add up the math here for most Def and see where he winds up. Lyrics, he gets a five and a half. Like I said, this is not to say that most Def was bad, but I was a bit let down. I, I just, you know, it wasn't somebody that I was overly informed on or that I listened to a lot of their material. Um, and like I said, I did enjoy his sound for the most part. But when it came to the technicalities, I, I just found myself wondering like, okay, yeah, he was slightly above average, but what did he do that people are really like holding him in this high regard? You know, he had spots where he was good with multisyllabic rhymes. He had a fair share of, of deep lines with some strong points and stuff like that. But like I said, you know, rhymes got random a lot. Um, there were times where he took shortcuts and used run on bars and stuff like that, but... 
he was he was good at keeping a topic throughout a song and he definitely had a good vocabulary but again i i just you know i my point that i'm trying to make is i feel like if i were to rap at a five and a half nobody would fucking care nobody would ever be talking about it it's like all right bro who cares you're slightly above average i mean good for you um you know if i enjoy your music i'll listen to it if i don't then i won't but it's like with somebody like most def it's like how did you get to the level where people have this utmost respect for you as an artist when you're really just slightly above average at least when it comes to technicalities and lyrics and things like that so we'll have to get into the rest of the scores here and see if most def was able to be carried by something else he was able to do or whatever the case is but again lyrically and technically speaking yes yeah, slightly above average but certainly nothing special for most def albums he gets a 4.36 with zero classics like i said not an overabundance of work which kind of caught me off guard i mean again you're looking at a guy here that's very well respected in the hip-hop community finishes slightly above average lyrically only four solo albums and one with a group no classics again that's not to say that this 4.36 isn't a good score because it is but it's just it's just odd to me when somebody comes so highly revered and then you start getting into these numbers and you're like, wait a minute, what's what's happening here? This is not what I was expecting. So again, only five albums out of the five, one great, three good, one average. So solid stuff there. Nothing overly ridiculous or super special, but good stuff there with the albums. Songs, he gets a zero. Like I spoke about, again, not an overabundance of songs, only 83 songs. He did have three great songs, but he also had three weak songs. So that evens each other out. They cancel each other out, and he gets a zero in the songs department. Impact, he gets a five and a half. And quite frankly, that was basically just because most Def's name holds a lot of weight in the hip hop community. Because when you look at all the other things, you know, what what is it? Small body of work, no major accomplishments, no giant, ridiculous amounts of record sales, records broken, uh, you know, didn't win 20 awards, all these things. So. When you look at all this stuff, it's like, okay, what does he have going for him other than the fact that if you ask most hip-hop heads, like, yo, what do you think about most Def? Even the people that don't really fuck with most Def, like myself included, if you were to ask me, like, what do you think of most Def? Just based off the general consensus and what I had heard of him, I would have probably said, ah, you know, most Def is cool. I don't really fuck with him like that. But, you know, and I would have kind of tried to portray to you that I'm not overly informed on the dude, and I don't personally think he's ridiculous, but I know that he's well-respected in the hip-hop community, and I certainly don't dislike him. So, again, just a little bit of, of odd scorings here for me. We got a guy that gets slightly above average lyrically, a good album score with zero classics, only five albums, including a group album, evens out in the songs department, and gets a slightly above average score in impact here of five and a half, and it's like, Man, what? Why are we all speaking about this guy? Like, what? What is he doing? So, anyway, moving on to originality. In that department, he gets a seven and a half, which is his best score. And again, like I said, his his general sound had a bit of that tribe called Quest vibe, where it was kind of that, um, you know, jazzy kind of laid back, um, Afrocentric woke kind of sound. You know, for lack of a better word, but. That's not to say that he necessarily like took that from them or was copying them. I just think that it was something that appealed to him. It was a sound that he liked and it was, you know, what he was going for. But again, overall, 
with his message and his image and things like that, he was pretty original on top of the fact that he didn't follow any trends or sell out to sell more records. He came out as most deaf. He always stayed most deaf. He finished as most deaf if he is indeed done. But that doesn't really matter. It's just a point that I'm trying to make that, again, not a guy that's totally out of left field or completely random or totally ridiculous here, but definitely an original artist that was true to himself. So a solid score of seven and a half in the originality department there for most deaf. So you add those five numbers up and you divide by five and that gives you a final rating of 4.55, which puts most deaf in a three-way tie for 81st place of 190 artists done overall. So just about an upper middle finish for most deaf there, which like I said, that's not a bad finish, but for someone that a lot of people seem to think pretty highly of, I'm going to have to say, aside from his overall sound, I'm honestly just not sure what anyone thinks is special about him, and I do not say that to knock him in any way. An above average, pretty original artist here, so like I said, not trying to shit on him, but this is certainly one of those guys who did not live up to their name when I got to them. Now, for the record, Most Def is in a three-way tie with Kid Creole and Raheem of the Furious Five, both of whom we've covered in Season 1, the 80s. So, he's definitely in the presence of legends, no question about that, man. So, shout-outs to Most Def for doing his thing, and now let's move on to the other half of Black Star, Talib Kweli. Birth name is Talib Kweli Green, born October 3rd, 1975 in New York City, United States. Genres are listed as hip-hop, and his years active are listed as 1997 to present. So, I have to admit, I did not realize that Talib Kweli was his actual birth name. Not that that's of any major importance, but I was personally not aware of that. But anyway, let's get into some more background info on Talib Kweli and see if anything else stands out there. Talib Kweli Green, born October 3rd, 1975, is an American rapper from New York. He earned recognition early on through his collaboration with fellow Brooklyn rapper Most Def in 1997 when they formed the group Blackstar. Kweli's musical career continued with solo success, including collaborations with producers and rappers Kanye West, Just Blaze, and Pharrell Williams. In 2011, Kweli founded his own record label, Javadi Media. So, again, nothing too out of the ordinary there for Talib, so let's just get right into my write-up of him and check out how that reads. Although he generally comes pretty highly touted, I have to admit, I was pretty pleasantly surprised listening to Talib Kweli. Although he didn't have an overabundance of dope lines, he definitely had enough and also had a good vocabulary. On top of that, he was tremendous with utilizing different rhyme schemes and rhyming a lot of syllables consistently. He was also very good at keeping a topic for an entire song and finished as a very good lyricist overall. Talib was much busier than his other half in Blackstar, putting out the album with the group, plus six other collaborative albums with Styles P, producers High Tech, Madlib, Ninth Wonder, and Diamond D, as well as an additional eight solo albums for a total of 15. Only two of those albums were good, seven were great, another three were borderline classics, and two were classic albums. Not even a single average album throughout a 24-year 15-album career thus far. Of his 186 qualified songs, 31 were great without a single one ever being weak, and another 102 were good. That means over 70% of his music was good or better, which is obviously an amazing statistic. 
While Quali's name holds a certain amount of weight in the hip-hop game, especially with lyricists, with his larger body of work, he was still only able to influence the likes of Jay-Z and Memphis Bleak. From his choice of words and messages in his songs to the general content he put out and his overall sound, Talib Kweli was a pretty original MC. So that definitely sounds like pretty solid stuff there for Talib Kweli. And like I said, even though I've heard people boast about Talib before, he was still better than I expected. So let's get into the math for Talib and see how it all adds up at the end of the day. Lyrics, he gets a seven and a half. Like I said, man, a very good lyricist here in Talib Kweli, no doubt about it. Um, you know, not an overabundance of like punchlines or metaphors or really dope lines, but he definitely had enough, like he had them, and he had a very good vocabulary. He was tremendous with utilizing different rhyme schemes and rhyming a lot of syllables consistently. This is not something that he just showed the ability to do. This was something that he did very, very consistently on top of being able to keep a topic for an entire song. So very, very impressive stuff here by Talib Kweli when it came to lyrics, no doubt about it. Albums, he gets a 6.14 with two classics, and that's obviously not only a tremendous score, but the two classics obviously helps for the two extra points. Like I spoke about, 15 total albums. Only two of those albums even went as low as being good. Seven of them were great. Another three were borderline classics, and like I said, two of them were classics. So not even a single average album throughout a 24-year, 15-album career thus far, like I spoke about before. So incredible stuff there when it comes to the album score for Talib as well. Songs, he gets a plus 1.7. Like we speak about, if you're plus or minus a full point in this department, it starts to make a serious impact on your overall score. Not only is he plus a full point, he's plus a 1.7, so almost a full two points there for Talib Kweli. That came because he had 186 qualified songs. 31 of those songs were great. Not a single one was weak. That comes out to 17%. You slide the decimal, it gives you a 1.7. So really solid stuff here in all three categories from Talib Kweli so far. No doubt about that. Impact, he gets a just above average score of 5.5 here. And there's a couple of things to take into consideration here. And we, we've covered artists like this before. And not only have we covered artists like this before, but actually every artist on today's episode got a five and a half in the impact department. And cannabis has gotten there a little bit different because there were some bigger positives and bigger negatives for cannabis than there were for either Most Def or Talib Kweli. But in general, all three of these guys, mainly Most Def and Talib Kweli, were held at that five and a half status by pretty much just the the weight that their name in the hip-hop industry carries. Like I said, cannabis reached a little bit higher with certain things and dipped a little bit lower with certain things, speaking on just the impact department than the other two guys did. A little bit more even-keeled for Talib Kweli and Mos Def, and like I said, just, you know, their name in the hip-hop community able to just single-handedly carry them just above average there, but not too much else there for Talib or Mos Def to... To go on either side of the fence there. Not an overabundance of record sales or mainstream commercial success. Really nothing else there to take too much away from that. So like I said, the name keeps them at a 5.5. And, and originality, Talib gets a score of a 7.5 here. Which is a very good score. And it, it's kind of similar to the impact thing. Where there really isn't much too much there to take away from Talib quality As far as originality is concerned. And while he's not 
you know, ridiculously out of left field with his image or his song topics or things like that. His choice of words, the messages in his songs, the general content he put out and his overall sound were all pretty original. So I thought those things were enough to carry him up to a seven and a half. And like I said, there really wasn't anything there for him to lose credit for in the originality department. So another very good score of a seven and a half there for Talib Kweli as far as originality is concerned. So you add all those six numbers up because remember we have the two extra points for the two classic albums. So you're going to add the lyric score, the album score, the two points for the classics, the song score, the impact score, and the originality score. You're going to divide by five because that's the number of categories we have. And that's going to give you a final rating of 6.07, which puts Talib Kweli in 18th place of 190 artists done overall. So a solid finish there for Talib Kweli, no question, and that should certainly fit him well inside of our top 50 of all time when this is all said and done. So, like I said, impressive stuff here from Talib, man. So with all of that out of the way, we'll now move into all of our lists. As always, we'll start off with our top 10% overall. In our top spot, we have Eminem, who's in first place of 190 artists done overall. Directly behind him in second place is Jay-Z. Directly behind Jay is Big Pun, who's in third. Directly behind Pun in fourth is Vinny Paz of Jedi Mind Tricks. Directly behind him is AZ, who's in fifth. And directly behind him in sixth is Big L. Directly behind L is Nas, who's in seventh. And directly behind him in eighth is Method Man. Directly behind Method Man, we now have Cannabis, who's in ninth place. And directly behind him in tenth is Black Thought of The Roots. Directly behind Thought is Killer Priest, who's in eleventh. And directly behind Priest, we have a three-way tie for 12th place between Tupac, Biggie, and Jadakiss. Behind them, we have DMX, who's in 15th. Directly behind D, we have a tie for 16th place between Pharaoh Manch and Jusselah of Jedi Mind Tricks. And behind them, we now have Talib Kweli, who's in 18th place of 190 artists done overall. So awesome stuff here is we have now revealed who that ninth place artist is, which is Cannabis, falling in between Method Man and Black Thought. So an amazing finish there for Cannabis. And that now means that we have our top 18 artists revealed in order here. We also see Talib Kweli is able to crack this list as well, sliding into that very last spot in our top 10% overall here. Naturally, this means that we have some changes. So, since the total number of artists in this list does not change today, but we had two additions in Cannabis and Talib Kweli, this unfortunately means that KRS-One and Rock of Helta Skelta have both officially been slid out of our top 10% overall list. Aww. Couple things that need to be noted here. First of all, KRS-One was the last artist of the 80s to still be in this list as we had Slick Rick knocked off about a month or so ago. So this means that the entire top 10% overall list is now 100% 90s artists, which is absolutely insane. Before I started this study, that wouldn't have surprised me, but as I got more into things and started seeing some of these people I slept on and some of the legends who paved the way... I would have never imagined there would be no 80s artists left in this top 10% overall list at this point in the study. KRS-One made his debut with BDP in 1987 and has been on this list ever since. 
So 11 years on here for KRS-One, which needless to say is extremely impressive. Nonetheless though, man, major shout out to the 80s decade and all the legends that paved the way, especially KRS-One who was the last of his decade to be in this top 10% overall list. And as far as Rock is concerned, quite frankly, man, I never had him anywhere on my radar, even though I had heard him before when I was younger. But he was an absolutely incredible artist who certainly earned his way onto this list. So shout outs to Rock of Helta Skelta as well, no question. But nonetheless, man, KRS, one of my favorite rappers of all time. Can't sleep on the gems the teacher be dropping. So major shout outs to KRS, one and Rock of Helta Skelta for holding down spots on this list for as long as they did. And also major shouts to Cannabis and Talib Kweli for making this list as well as anyone else who's still currently in it. Now let's move on to our top 10% lyrically so far. In our top spot we have Eminem with a lyrical score of 9.5. Behind him we have a 5-way tie for 2nd place between Pharaoh Manch, Black Thought of the Roots, Nas, AZ, and Vinnie Paz of Jedi Mind Tricks who all received lyrical scores of 8.5. In a four-way tie for seventh place behind them, we have Method Man, Jay-Z, Big Pun, and Cannabis, who all got lyrical scores of eight. In a five-way tie for 11th place, we have Master Ace, Jizza, Common, Big L, and Talib Kweli, who all got lyrical scores of seven and a half. And then in a six-way tie for our 16th and final spot, we have KRS-One, Lord Finesse, Sean Price of Helta Skelta, Slug of Atmosphere, Jadakiss and Killer Priest, who all got lyrical scores of 7. So Cannabis and Talib Kweli both also able to slide into our top 10% lyrically so far. So again, shout outs to Talib and Biss and all the other top lyricists in this list. Now let's get into our particular decades list. We'll start off with our top 5 artists to make their debut in the 1980s. So your top 5 artists to come out in the 80s are KRS-One, Slick Rick, Rakim, Rev Run of Run DMC, and LL Cool J. Major shouts to the OGs still holding it down in their respective decades, no doubt about it. Now, let's move on to our 90s decade. Your top five artists to come out in the 90s are Eminem, Jay-Z, Big Pun, Vinnie Paz of Jedi Mind Tricks, and AZ. So third week in a row now that no one cracks this list, and like I said, at this point, you're either finishing top five overall or you're not making this list, so... One of the hardest lists to crack, especially in the back half of this 90s decade, no question. So now we're going to move into our regional list. We're going to start off with our East Coast. So your top three artists to come out of the East Coast are Jay-Z from Brooklyn, New York, Big Pun from the Bronx, New York, and Vinnie Paz of Jedi Mind Tricks from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Moving across the country to our West Coast, your top three artists to come out in the West Coast thus far are Tupac from Marin County, California, Razcast from Carson, California, and Ice Cube of NWA from Los Angeles, California. Moving down south, your top three artists to come out of the south thus far are Lil Wayne from New Orleans, Louisiana, Andre 3000 of Outkast from Atlanta, Georgia, and Big Boy also of Outkast and also from Atlanta, Georgia. Moving over to our Midwest, your top three artists to come out of the Midwest thus far are Eminem from Detroit, Michigan, Proof, also from Detroit, Michigan, and Common from Chicago, Illinois. So Talib and Cannabis both able to crack not only our top 10% overall list, but our top 10% lyrical list as well, 
but not able to crack any other lists as this top three artist to come out of the East Coast has now and from this moment on probably will remain the most difficult list to crack that we have. So obvious shout outs to anyone who's a top artist in whatever their region may be. If you'd like to see any of these lists in full, you can give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash tale of the tapes podcast. You can also give the host website a visit at www.anchor.fm slash tale of the tapes. Both of those links are spelled completely normally on the host website. You'll see a support button. I appreciate anybody that could hit that. Thank you very much. And that'll do it for episode 58 here today. On next week's episode, we will be covering Afro Man and Corrupt. And if you have anywhere near the same expectations I do, you can definitely expect some surprises in this particular episode. Tale of the Tapes. Peace. Tale of the Tapes. Might as well. <laughs>